Chapter Two of Irene Iddersley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. Read by Andy Minter. Irene Iddersley by Amanda McKitterick Ross. Chapter Two. The December sun had hidden its dull rays behind the huge rocks that rose monstrously high west of Dunfern Mansion, and ceased to gladden the superb apartment Sir John occupied most part of the day. They had withdrawn their faint reflection from within the mirrored walls of this solitary chamber to brighten other homes with their never-dying sheen. As the dull grey evening advanced to such a degree as to render a look of brightness imperative to the surroundings of its sole occupant, Sir John requested that his favourite apartment should be made bright as possible by adding more fuel to the smouldering ashes within the glistening bars which guarded their remains. This being done, three huge lamps were lighted and placed at respectable distances from each other, when Sir John, with his accustomed grace, began to peruse some of his evening papers. Though a man of forty summers, he never yet had entertained the thought of yielding up his bacheloric ideas to supplace them with others which eventually should coincide with those of a different sex. In fact, he never had bestowed a thought on changing his habits and manner of living, nor, until fully realising his position of birthright, that had been treasured by his ancestors for such a lengthened period, and which, sooner or later, must pass into strangers' hands, did the thought ever occur to him of entering into the League of the Blessed. The clock had just chimed nine, when a maid entered with a note, neatly laid on a trim little tray, which she placed on the table close beside her master, and then retired. It was rather unusual for him to receive letters so late in the evening, nor, until he was in full possession of its contents, he could not form the faintest imagination of its worth. Not far from Dunfern Mansion may be seen, situated on a rising hill, the beautiful castle of Lord and Lady Dilworth, a prominent building commanding the finest view in the county. It had been remodelled by the present owner, after inheriting it from his late maternal uncle, Lord Leyburn, and although equipped with all modern improvements and inventions necessary, yet there dwelt a lack of design and beauty about it possessed by Dunfern Mansion. The bountiful owner of Dilworth Castle differed much in many respects from Sir John Dunfern. He was a nobleman of rare tact and capacities, a keen sportsman, a turf frequenter, an ardent politician, and, in fact, a lover of everything which served to promote the interests of his extended and varied social circle in particular, and entire community in general. Lady Dilworth, it may here be mentioned, was never of a very robust nature, and often had she felt the great strain of society press rather heavily on her weak frame, so much so as to render the adoption of the subject of this book indispensable. Drawing his chair closer to the table, on which one of the great lamps stood, Sir John proceeded to peruse the contents of the note. It was an invitation from Lord and Lady Dilworth to attend a ball at Dilworth Castle on 22nd Prox, given by them in honour of the marriage of Henry, 5th Marquis of Hill Hall, with Ethel, Countess of Maidstone. 
Lord Dilworth and the Marquis were personal friends of Sir John, and to accept this kind and courteous invitation would mean a step towards the summit of the matrimonial ladder, by meeting the majority of the fully-fledged bells in and around Canterbury, and especially Irene Iddersley, Lord Dilworth's adopted daughter, more generally known as the Southern Beauty. He slept over the matter that night, with the result that next morning he wrote accepting the kind invitation, more through curiosity than desire. Although he led a quiet and retired life, generally speaking, still he did not absent himself totally from a few social meetings occasionally, and if imagination painted his future in the manner so artfully designed by Lady Dilworth, no doubt this visit to Dilworth Castle might convert it into reality. Arriving at the elegant castle with its tower of modern fame and spires of Gothic structure, Sir John was met in its great hall by the genial hostess, who conducted him to the brilliant reception-room, superbly laid out for the comfort of its guests, and being the first to arrive, was thus afforded a good opportunity of inspecting the many valuable relics and works of art that adorned its huge and velvety walls. On the centre wall, right opposite where he sat, hung a painted portrait, life-size, an admirable production of the well-known artist Pito, and not knowing where such an original of perfection and beauty could be found, he resolved to inquire, when opportunity offered, whose portrait it might be. At this stage the numerous guests began to assemble, including the majority of the leading gentry in and around Canterbury, as it was looked upon as the chief social event of the season. Mothers were most fidgety that their daughters should don their costliest gowns and brilliance, as rumour had it that the noble heir to Dunfern estate should honour the assembly with his august presence. Report gained ground that Sir John, having quietly crept out of boyhood for a lengthened period, would end his days harnessed singly, but idle gossip, flying at all times kite high, soon gave place in the wavering minds of society bells to that of more serious consideration and welcome expectancy. On being introduced to all those outside his present circle of acquaintance on this evening, and viewing the dazzling glow of splendour which shone through spectacles of wonder in all its glory, Sir John felt his past life but a dismal dream, brightened here and there with a crystal speck of sunshine that had partly hidden its gladdening rays of bright futurity, until compelled to glitter with the daring effect they soon should produce. But there awaited his view another beam of life's bright rays, who, on entering, last of all, commanded the minute attention of every one present. This was the beautiful Irene Iddersley. How the look of jealousy, combined with sarcasm, substituted those of love and bashfulness! How the titter of tainted mockery rang throughout the entire apartment! and could hardly fail to catch the ear of her whose queenly appearance occasioned it. These looks and taunts serving to convince Sir John of nature's fragile cloak, which covers too often the image of indignation and false show, and seals within the breasts of honour and equality resolutions of an iron mould. On being introduced to Irene, Sir John concluded instantly, without instituting further inquiry, that this must be the original of the portrait so warmly admired by him. There she stood, an image of perfection and divine beauty, attired in a robe of richest snowy tint, 
relieved here and there by a few tiny sprigs of the most dainty maidenhair fern, without any ornaments whatever, save a diamond necklet of famous sparkling lustre and priceless value. As the evening rolled into the small hours of the morning, the numerous guests began to repair to their respective homes, none of the weaker sex having had the slightest advancement in the direction of their coveted intentions, save Irene, who was fortunate in securing the attention of Sir John Dunfern during the happy hours that fled so quickly. Immediately before taking his departure, he pressed firmly her snowy hand, and left the pretty gilded area which surrounded his first hopes of matrimony to enter what he was beginning to believe the weary apartments of Dunfern Mansion that previously had held him bound to them in hermit-like fashion. End of chapter 2